Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Do you remember American History X where he's biting the curb and then he gets stood on? Like, every time I think about it, I have to feel my teeth. But I keep imagining my teeth touching curb. Like that, That's what my target did instead of just clearing the ball. He just fell too first into the ground. Yeah, that's what my target makes me feel like. Go for it. Just do it. Just stamp on me. This is Paul McGrath. You're listening to the Villa Podcast. That morning sky gave me a look. So I left while you were sleeping. That's all it took. Dean Smith insisted that the collapse against Wolves was pure randomness. Freak events that just so happen to occur three times in 15 minutes, once every five fucking minutes. He managed to convince himself that Villa were actually good against Wolves and that the system was working. Because John McGinn's arse forced some space for a cross that Eng scored because Wolves cocked up, Watkins had a shit shot, McGinn had a shit shot and the ball somehow ended up in the net. Dean Smith still actually believed that things were going in the right direction and in his effort to convince the rest of us he threw out the exact same team <laughs> the exact same team against Arsenal and after 22 minutes of having the living shit kicked out of us it was 1-0 to Arsenal and it was clear that Smith and Shakespeare and the rest of the boys had cocked up royally this was one of the worst Aston Villa performances I can ever remember and that is not hyperbole I include the Liverpool game of yesteryear in this. This was fucking shambolic. It was really bad. Like I don't know if I if I have the vocabulary, the descriptive skills, or the fucking will to talk about how bad that was. But I suppose I better give it a go because you're going to force me to stay on this call for a fucking hour. <laughs> I, I I have never seen a goal coming more in my life. Arsenal were ferocious. They knew what they wanted to do. They knew what they were going to exploit. They also just knew that we were shit and they 
went for that. Like they had a shot every two minutes in the first twenty minutes. Pathetic. That's disgraceful. It's not pathetic. It's disgraceful. And what's worse, we did nothing about it. The players, the manager. Twenty minutes is a long time to wait for your fate to be sealed. We were just waiting for a goal to go in. We looked like we just accepted it. We had a patch of ice on the ground and said, "Well, that's it. We're fucked." And took our hands off the steering wheel and unbuckled the fucking seatbelt. The performance was so, so disgraceful. And it's absolutely, from the players and from the manager, the players, though, like they weren't running. It was really pathetic stuff. They were outfought by Arsenal. Yeah. Like, that's not okay. Every single player bottled it. Talk about a fucking yellow streak running through a team. They were passing the ball and then standing and watching three Arsenal players swarming around their teammate. If they're still able to call each other, mate, after that, it was unbelievable. They were afraid of a bit of pressure. I mean, what the fuck are we going to do against Liverpool or someone good? <laughs> Imagine not wanting the football at your feet when that's what you do for a living. Get a new career, lads. This one's not working out for you. Uh, that, that was the most depressing thing, is that like we've, we've had so much fun at Arsenal's expense, and I was always so comfortable in doing that because it's Arsenal. They have the yellow streak. They have the soft underbelly. They're the ones that can be got at. They, like I look at Arsenal and think that, that that's a soft, flaky collection of dorks that will always crumble if you put enough pressure on them. Like if, if that Watkins chance at the, the the very end it would have been Villa's second goal. If I had it gone in, you would have seen them capitulate in Aston Villa fashion and not saying something. But yeah, like they 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 ate Aston Villa up. Arsenal made Villa look like the soft weaklings. Like it was, it was so grim to watch your team suffer such a fate against another team who you've had so much crack at slagging and poking fun at and and exposing them for being soft centered. But like, like, and Smith was so convinced that you know we we played. He said it again afterwards. We played really well for eighty minutes against Wolves. We did not. We played bad against Wolves. We found ourselves two 0 up. We played terrible against Spurs. Like there was enough warning signs going into this that something had to change. Like it's six goals in seventy minutes of football. Like that's not random. That's what Villa conceded from the end of the Wolves match to this game. And do you know what? I ju- I just don't understand what the hell was happening out there. I I. I I cannot fathom how Villa were continuously ripped apart on the brick and how Arsenal kept finding space because cash or target weren't doing anything going forward. John McGinn didn't have the ball in Arsenal's half once and Danny Ings wasn't touching it because Buendia kept giving the thing away. So, like, how was everybody not just back in the fence? Like, where were they? Because <laughs> they weren't on the ball. They weren't attacking. Where the fuck did they go? Like, but this is the thing. Whenever you just leave your teammate to get the ball taken off them then he's fucked and then there's just two players running past one player it's just one person out of position immediately and there's an imbalance created and once there's an imbalance created it's a fucking shit show especially if everybody is panicking everybody is absolutely bricking it defensively they were a shambles they were running at people running past them running past people when they were trying to tackle them it was insane stuff on the ball they didn't want it Whenever they got the ball, they didn't want it. Whenever someone else had it, they definitely didn't go and try and get it off them. It was, you're right to say it was the worst performance. 6 0 against Liverpool, Ali Sissoko, all those dark days, that was just as bad as all of them. Well, let's go through these goals. 1 0, uh, another set piece. Apparently, we don't concede from set pieces. John McGinn just ducks 
out of the way in case the ball hits his head. <laughs> and Thomas gets the easiest goal. And the worst thing about that is that it repeated itself yet again. It might have been, no, it was the first half still at the other side, at the other wing. And it was Mings and McGinn again. And Mings doesn't get it. McGinn should be getting it. And then they both end up just arguing with each other. Like, just. Like that just summed it all up. Ducking out of the way of a corner. What are you, what are you doing in there? If you're going to duck out of the way, just don't be in there. You're no no use to anybody. Yeah. Was he leaving the ball inside a six yard box inside his post? Like, was he just looking to get a sniff of Party's arse? Like, neither of those two things have any place on a football pitch when there's a match going on. It was fucking dreadful. Two 0 the penalty. Like, you know what? Like, I'll never ever celebrate Villa conceding the goal but <laughs> I almost didn't want them going in 1-0 down like, they, like that that would have been the most undeserving of uh, margins of all time because they like they were destroyed completely annihilated and then Target gets punished for lying on his earth like the, the camera you know when the camera's following the ball and then it moves as the ball's shot and you see Target just lying in the box already even though the ball's <laughs> never been in there and then he decides to get up, but not fully get up, and just swing a leg whilst he's lying on the ground. Comes through, like I said, looks guilty as sin. The ref, Craig Parsons, not interested. He never usually is. And uh, they get the they get the VAR decision just before halftime. And then I heard Smith afterwards complaining about the penalty being given after the halftime whistle, and they shouldn't have been allowed to score the rebound. Like I thought, oh my Christ, shut up. Like, that was not the problem of that first half. Yeah, like, if, if you're going to bother doing the interview, just admit it. We were fucking dreadful. Yeah, the players I, weren't on yes. it, and I got and I got it wrong. Like, yeah. don't come out. Don't go harking back to a game you fucking threw away. Like, go, oh, we were actually good in the last game for 80 minutes of the game. <laughs> and then fucking complaining about a referee's decision. Like, Arsenal deserved to be 4 or 5 not up in that first half. It was that stark. We could run through Arsenal's chances. I'm not going to fucking do it. Arsenal had so many opportunities, really, really clear-cut opportunities where they threw on goal and they were just skying it. Villa were at sixes and sevens and Arsenal were just bearing down non-stop. Aubameyang's fucking penalty, don't they? Imagine running away celebrating as if he'd achieved something. <laughs> you, you've, you've missed a penalty. You've scuffed the ball into the ground. All he achieved there was he won a race against Konza that he had a 10-yard head start for. That is so good. I had the exact same thought that like you should not be allowed to celebrate a penalty that you've missed. Like, and, and the fucking follow-up, he kicks it into the ground. It was pathetic. And he's running away. Not even. I would be okay if he looked like he was celebrating Arsenal scoring. He was running away with that face on him as if to say, oh, I'm Aubameyang, what did you expect? I expected you not to miss a one-on-one from 12 yards, you fucking prick. <laughs> and these are the chumps that completely outplayed us. Uh, like eighty minutes against Wolves, yeah. Like th- this reminds me of um, I re- I remember <laughs> the team I used to play with in Derry. We played so well one of these games, fifth first fifteen minutes, and we got beaten in the same match. And we we talked afterwards about that first fifteen minutes, and if we can just repeat that, you know, for for longer in future, like we'll be doing really well. And then like you know the season didn't pan out that way, but we kept going back to the first fifteen minutes of this game. We knew we had it in us, and then the next season. You know, we lost another match. <laughs> the changing room. I just said to one of the boys, do you remember the first 15 minutes against that team? <laughs> and fuck me, the manager who was a psychopath heard it. <laughs> he cleared out. He went into the showers, cleared everybody out, ordered them back into the changing room, told nobody's leaving, sit the fuck down. 
and boys aren't hurting enough. They're fucking laughing and joking. <laughs> there you go. Oh, Christ. Yeah, I'm actually feeling the same way about you here now, fucking laughing and joking. Just get on with this fucking shit show because I'm hurting. Yeah, shit show, 3-0, John McGinn. I have no idea what he's trying to do here. Like, well, you know, you, you know... I don't even want to be um, kind to him here because this is the sort of thing where I say, if I could do what I wanted to do in my head, I'd be really good at football. But like, <laughs> what he's trying to do isn't on. So he's trying to play Matt Cash with one of those inside the fullback passes. But there are two Arsenal players at fullback, <laughs> and he's just rolled the ball towards them whilst looking at them. It's like he's passing them a little timid pass, and like it's it's never ever like if there were no Arsenal players there, it's not going to Cash. And uh, they just stream down the pitch and, and score. Yeah, that, that was the second most annoying thing about that goal. I mean, Jamie Carragher creaming himself about Smith Rowe. Like, yeah. what actually happened there, Jamie? What did you just see happen? McGinn passed the ball to an Arsenal player in the most pathetic attempt in playing the ball across the field that I can remember. Yeah. And Smith Rowe had an entire quarter of a football pitch to himself. And then he kicked the ball against Tyrone Mings. And you're having a fucking wank in the gantry. <laughs> this this comes back to that like that thing we were saying like why can't they just commentate on what actually happened like he thought it was a good goal it wasn't he's actually hit it well wide as well like Mings I thought I thought it was bad defending from Mings and that he, he he completely telegraphed the idea that Smith Rowe would come inside on his right so he's given him that whole and maybe that's good defending like force him onto his left or whatever but he's left in the near post anyway like if Smith Rowe was actually good he would just drill it into that near post instead he's freaked out and hit it at Mings he hasn't even tried to hit like well I assume that was his intention to curl it in the far bottom corner he's just hit it straight at Mings and it's it's gotten very fortuitously gone in off Mings off the post and it's in the back of the net yeah, I thought Mings defended that brilliantly. I mean, the recovery pace, there was a bit of moments where he was just pointing behind him. I was like, what the fuck are you doing? And then he just turned on the afterburners and closed down the space. Absolutely spot on. Sometimes you need to know the players you're playing against. And he did know that. Like, fair enough, he gave Smith Rowe the option to go down his left. But Tyrone Mings knew he wasn't taking it. And he blocked his shot and it just went into the fucking net. 3-1. Jacob Ramsey's off the mark. Um... Douglas Louise, I want I want more of this from him. Like this is what's frustrating sometimes about Dougie and that he does these things where you think, yes, why why is he not just doing this the whole fucking match? Like so he fakes a pass out to the left, gets his gets his foot on the ball, you know I like a soul on top of the football, comes back inside, squares up, and then he stops, like reduces his pace, and then bang, drives forward again, takes all the space, and then he drills a pass into Bailey, who takes it on the move. The rest of our forwards should fucking take note. Take the ball in the move. Don't stand there like a spare sausage. And then uh, Ramsey just calls rank because he's in the better position. Takes it off Bailey and just whips it into the top corner. Like the most postage stamp goal I could ever imagine. Oh, they're all fucking good when they're 3-0 down, Connor. Yeah, well, I've said this before. Villa are brilliant when they're 3-0 down. <laughs> yeah, it's a... They're down 3-0 far too often. <laughs> It's, yeah, it's a brilliant hit from Ramsey. It's brilliant from Bailey, but sure, he'll be gone in the summer, so there's no point in getting excited about him. <laughs> oh, it's sad because it's true. Um, and you know what else is sad as well? I had started this, like we're talking about Aubameyang there. 
I started this uh, well with the intention when I thought things might have gone better. I wanted to slag the Arsenal players for trying to get Watkins sent off initially. I thought, what a what a bunch of sad losers. And and then Aubameyang and the time wasting, or sorry, stopping Emmy Martinez for getting it up the pitch and him not getting a yellow card. Like just this stuff doesn't even matter anymore. I can't believe that I've even mentioned it. Um, like that. that <laughs> That's how grim it is. We can't even laugh at Arsenal today. Like you, you come into some podcast thinking like there's going to be a few certainties that we're going to be able to talk about. Nothing like that because of the shit show that followed. Oh, there was plenty of certainties from that match. There was plenty of fucking certainties in the Aston Villa players. Plenty of players we knew were going to be fucking shit because they're shit at football. It's funny <laughs> that I was watching the very start of that game when walking through Gabriel to the ground. I thought, brilliant, have some of that, you shit. Yeah. I misdiagnosed that that is Villa being up for it. Turns out it was just a symptom of how tetchy, ill-disciplined, and mentally pathetic this team is. So we might as well go to WhatsApp when you say. I thought we had started, sorry. <laughs> See you there. All right, WhatsApp winges. Look at the fucking state of McGinn. <laughs> what specifically? <laughs> Do you know... Do you know what this was specifically is, and we can go into his performance after this, but do you know what never works in a situation where you're being fucking hammered? Clapping your hands and roaring come on at your teammates. I, I've never seen a teammate respond to that. And it, was, it wasn't just me again. There was a few of them just roaring across the pitch like, come on, lift it. We'll raise it up, boys. Do you know what does fucking work? Getting on the ball. Turning, passing to a teammate, bringing the ball up the pitch, showing a set of actual balls and not just giving people lip service by saying, come on, somebody else do something because that actually just summed up the way Villa were playing. Just hoping somebody else would do something instead of you just being the man and getting on the ball and then affecting the game that way. Yeah, it was it was pathetic and it was one of the many pathetic things that he did. It's just a waste of energy and boy, could he have done with the fucking energy along with everybody else. Get the fucking ball moving. Get your legs moving. I can't. I honestly cannot believe how many times they stood and watched each other on the ball. That was just sickening. There's nothing that annoys me more, and that's probably because I can't dribble. So I'm just standing there watching these poor fucking bastards standing on the ball, getting swarmed, nowhere to go, and all these fucking cunts just looking at them, saying, "We'll do something, you cunt." <laughs> it was because, like Arsenal, like. You, you had said it earlier, like they, were, they were well set up, they were up for the game, they clogged the middle like very quickly and then it was like Villa didn't want to go in there and well the only person who did go in there was Emi Buendia and sure we, did, we were better off him not being in there and then <laughs> McGinn ended up drifting right out beside Dougie, he ended up going deeper and like that's where you got that scenario then where McGinn or Kanza was on the ball and then Cash or McGinn or Kanza were just standing right behind this player on the ball and it wasn't going anywhere and we just often lost the fucking thing because nobody was nobody was moving for their teammate. Well and like whenever but whenever people are hunting like packs, which Arsenal were, and they were doing it really well. It was the best performance I can remember seeing from Arsenal, the pressure they had on. But the fact that it was Arsenal is what makes me terrified about playing somebody like Liverpool. But whenever people are hunting like packs, then there's space. You have to pop the ball out. You just have to have the calm head. Take the sting out of the game by finding your men. The only time Villa ever looked like they were going to find the man was they just popped it back out to the centre half again. And yeah. sometimes they did that as well when they had broken the press. They had gotten through it. And then Douglas Louise is just playing a 20-yard back pass with the outside of his right foot. 
And as well, like the other way around this is you're playing two fucking centre forwards. We yeah. talked about how shit this was last week if you're not going to use them. But this, Jesus Christ, if you are going to use them, there couldn't have been a better game for it. Whenever your team is getting swarmed and your midfielder bottling it, hit the fucking channels with your two quick, strong centre forwards. Do something else. Do something. Have you ever missed more Tyrone Mings kicking the ball over the top? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and look... I, I can't really get involved in that, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because that sickens me every other game. But geez, there's a time and a place for it, and today was the time and place, particularly in those first twenty minutes when we were being strangled, and the passes that were going up were pointless, and the ball was just coming back down. But can you remember a Villa team losing the ball so much in their own half? No, it was it was unbelievable. And like the thing is, like Villa, Villa were bad. Like their their choices were bad. Their execution was bad. But most of the time, when they lost it, there, there just wasn't an option, especially in that first half. Like they, they they lost it because they were standing, looking around, and it wasn't even that the other players were static. The other players, a lot of the time, were literally standing right up their holes, and it would have been really dodgy to try and pass it to them, or really pointless. And then eventually, Arsenal just nicked in and took it off them. Ah, oh, pathetic. Second, what's up, Winge? Jaden, Phil, Jean Badesi, and Carney Chuck Wemmega can't make the Villa bench, even though they can combine to help Keenan Davis score a goal. <laughs> That's right. I'm looking at the Villa bench today, and I'm like, what? where is Chuck Wemmega? What's going on? Like, wh- where? where's Jaden? And then I see White's Villa are warming up for whatever that was uh, at the Emirates. These boys are once again ripping through the under twenty three. He's like, what? What's the point of them even playing on it? Like, they're they're obviously too good for that. Like, I I can't assume that they're getting anything out of it. Like, is that extra game any more valuable for them than it would have been being part of the bench tonight? Well, I mean, the other way to think about it is that if they can't get into the squad ahead of El Ghazi, who can't get into the team ahead of Buendia, <laughs> and they're ripping it up in the under twenty threes then the under-23s must be a fucking absolutely dreadful standard. And maybe I'm just fucking angry tonight, but let's not forget, Jaden is four months younger than Mason Greenwood, and he can't get into a squad ahead of Anwar El-Ghazi. Maybe he's just not that fucking good either. Like, you know, there's, there's definitely something in what you're saying. But I also don't like... I don't like assuming that the managers made the right decision because, you know, we would have just gone along with Alex Neil being right about Wes Houlihan all those years or all the other managers who never picked him. Like, like Jaden Philadine Badesi might be good enough. Like, maybe another man, maybe Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer would play him. Maybe, maybe Greenwood <laughs> wouldn't feature in the Villa team because he wants to respect the senior pros and give Anwar El Ghazi his game time. He didn't even want to give him his game time. He's letting <laughs> Emmy Bundia do whatever he was doing for 67 minutes tonight. Yeah, it was just like, I, I know, uh, you know, sometimes you can be too gung-ho when it's easy and you're not involved. And like, I know we need the Campbell on the bench and stuff, but the, the bench was just lacking in anything tonight, especially with Bertie T not being back. And I like, that, that's when you needed Chuck Wemmicka, who was starting games at the start of the year, one game. And he, like, he was brought in, him and Philogene, for uh, the last two matches last year. Like, and I just, 
I thought that we'd see more of them more this year. Like, otherwise, just send them out and loan. Like, I thought that's why we kept them. And I, I definitely thought of what we've seen so far, there's something there. And like, Chuck Wemmerger is 18. It's young, but it ain't that young. Like, you know, it's not it's not that long until you're 19. I remember uh, a, a new English listener will fucking know who he is. That's how badly his career's panned out so far. Troy Parrott, the, Sp- the Spurs striker, who everyone was talking about from when he was 15, and then 16, and then 17. I know he's like 19, probably turning 20. Uh, you know, in a blink of an eye, he's not done anything in, in, at the club level yet. And that's what can happen. Like, we need to need to get them in. We're losing these matches anyway. Throw them in. Yeah, and look, I know what you're saying, and far be it for me to defend him, especially based on tonight. But he must be watching these boys in training, and they mustn't be. They mustn't be at the level. He, he has to know that. And I, I would, I would really. Keenan Davis is scoring in the under twenty threes. What does that fucking tell you about it? <laughs> I knew you were going to throw that back in my face. <laughs> Third WhatsApp winch. Yeah, that's what we needed at the start of the second half. Tyrone Mings wasting a minute complaining about a throwing. <laughs> Fuck me, like walking down the line, holding the ball. It's an Arsenal throw. You're 2-0 down. Give them the ball back, forcing them to throw it quicker. What are you doing? Yeah, you, you know it's a really, really bad night whenever you come away from an absolute shit show like that where you've had so many defensive errors and Tyrone Mings is probably coming off from all the defenders in the best shape. <laughs> he was the person who was least annoying, apart from that one instance. Yeah, um, look, we'll leave that there. We've got plenty more to complain about, so we don't want to burn ourselves out. More tactics talk, more individual performance talk after this. Mike Ashley has turned Newcastle into a discount sports company and appointed a discounted bargain basket manager. Glenn Roeder, Kenny Dogalish, Sam Allardyce, and Steve Bruce. <laughs> what a fucking parade of cavemen. Like, that is the only reason Andy Carroll is a professional footballer. Only Steve Bruce and Neil Warnock have got promoted more times than Mick McCarthy. That's not even a good stat because the good managers kept their teams up <laughs> and then progressed their careers. <laughs> Dean Smith will never get another team promoted from the championship because he won't be there. Brendan Rodgers won't get another team promoted from the championship because he won't be there. Pep Guardiola once again reveals himself to be a cunt. Do me a fucking favour, as if Jack Grealish needs to go play under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to progress his career. <laughs> that is absolutely a step backwards. Put this on record, United won't be within 10 points in the title. I, I genuinely believe that, and I'm not even trying to exaggerate, it's not hyperbole. Three, four games of, of bad run, United are out of the title race, like that, and that will happen to them, that will definitely happen. What gets Sean Dyche out of bed in the morning? <laughs> like, how does he do it? Imagine how exciting a job that would be. Imagine coming home and saying to your partner, I got a new job! I'm a football manager! 
<laughs> and then going out and doing that with it. What a waste of time. Steve Bruce is a graying pair of slazing your socks in the basket by the checkout that nobody wants. The Ronnie Rossenthal Award is brought to you by Arsenal Football Club. <laughs> First nomination, Aubameyang's bicycle kick. Uh, Target and Ming's just like, you're showing very, very early on that this three at the back is going to be a problem yet again. And Saka gets a bit of space in there in that big, massive... I've never seen a bigger pocket in all my <laughs> life between between a wing-back and a left centre-back and then whipped into the back post. Aubameyang tries a bicycle kick, completely balls it up, and somehow he manages to pick himself up and laugh about it afterwards. Like He's lucky that this game continued in that vein and Arsenal ended up winning like 3-1, but uh, I would not be laughing at that. That was a massive chance that he balls up. Oh, but like, Conan, the, the tone had been set. There was no way that game was going in any other direction. <laughs> I say that bastard knew that, and I would be laughing as well. And it wouldn't have just been at the bicycle kick. I just would have been laughing my head off at Aston Villa and the 50 yards of space that Saka somehow found. Saka as well! The player you must have been speaking about most before the game. Just standing on his own. And it's not like... It's not like Villa had the ball or anything. Arsenal had the ball. And Saka's just standing there. Arsenal How had the ball happen? the whole first half. There wasn't a team that didn't. <laughs> but yeah, Aubameyang absolutely shins it. It's dreadful. And at the risk of stepping on the second nominee, Saka does even worse when it falls to him. <laughs> what the, there's, the, the present thing is there are more nominations before he gets to Saka. Um, second one's Tavares he, he takes it off cash which is also a what the fuck award nomination um, just drives straight through uh, he's got he's got the step on Hansa because cash has been caught flat footed uh, blasts over wide or whatever and then Party hits it off the post which comes from a free kick which comes from Tyrone Mings fouling Saka whilst he's running away from the box he's running in the opposite direction down the wing but Mings Mings is being sort of ironically jeered by the home fans because because he was fouling Saka in the corner and then Saka gets out and then Mings' pride can't take it because there's a full stadium there. He's over in the sideline. So even though Saka is running in the opposite direction, I'll say it again, Mings decides to step across him and bundle him to the ground. See how he liked that? And it's like, well, yeah, we do like it. It's a free kick. We're going to cross it in and party should score. Yeah, and the worst thing about it is after he just thighs him to the ground across probably Saka's chest, <laughs> he turns around and whinges to the yeah. linesman about it. Like, come on, Tyrone, you know that was a foul. What the hell are you talking about? The Tavares one, Cash just dicking around. Tavares goes herring through, yeah, skies it. But, like, you know, Tavares is ripping through the Aston Villa defence. Jesus Christ. Alarm bells, Dean, do something. Party crossbar. Before that, though, when the cross comes in, like Mings seems to forget how long it takes a ball to travel 30 yards, and he jumps about three seconds too early, and the ball just goes floating over the top of his head. He's on the way back down as the ball is going over his head. Yeah. And Target was doing it the opposite way. He was already down as the ball was coming in. Um, Fourth nomination is Saka. Great save from Martinez, but like it's just... It, it sort of smacked of a, 
even though Martinez isn't that experienced game time wise, but he looked like an experienced keeper against a player with no composure. He just knew, like, I'll cover this side. He's going to try and go across me, and my feet are there completely ready for him. It all starts with Danny Ings being 10 meters behind, like he was all game. Um, Kanza tries to cut it out, fails, and then it's a two on one. He gets put across to Saka. He balls it up. Yeah, it's terrible from Saka, let's get real. And it's incredible that Martinez dives past it and still manages to save it. His compatriot didn't exactly cover himself in glory, though, did he, beforehand? No. And we get back to him, he, useless little bastard, was dawdling on the ball again in midfield. And once again, the red tide just comes pouring through the porous backline. It was pathetic. Well, there was a nomination for that Argentine. Um, a few chances Villa got when they were 3-0 down. Uh, as they always have to be to get these chances. Target has a nice pass inside. Buendia has the chance. It just never looked like he was going to score. It was uh, it was junior football stuff. Like, I'll just hit this and hope it goes in and the keepers just saved it. Yeah, it's a dreadful connection. It's, it's Hits it too late. Hits it too poorly. It's shite. Like, like the Watkins one was close to going in, but I, I don't think it's a Ronnie Rossenthal award nomination. Like it gets a toe on it from a long throw, and it just bounces wide. Not really a big chance. And then the only other nomination is Jacob Ramsey after his goal gets a chance on his left foot and drags it across. Probably should have done better. Yeah, it, it wouldn't have suited the game because Villa would have drawn that game three all if Ramsey scores. <laughs> Yeah. And that would have been while I would have been happy, I also would have been annoyed. It would have masked too many too many ills that now need to be put right after this game. You know, there's no hiding away from it. I'm sure if Villa had drawn that game free all, Dean Smith would have started with the same team and said, Well, you know, we did score three goals in the last ten minutes, so we can just stick with that pattern of play again. <laughs> the the Ollie Watkins one <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that's fair enough to be nominated for a, a Ross and Hollow I don't think he's going for that enough. I don't think he realises what's at stake here. Like, there's a draw in the off in here. You get one more goal and this team will buckle. And I just don't think he's herring in there as quickly or as powerfully as he normally does. And he, can, he gets a little bit nudged out of the way by White. I didn't like it. I, I think he could have got there. He was being nudged out of the way by Gabriel too often as well. Like just, he just kept sticking his arse and his back in his way. And like, I know walking through him to the ground at one stage, but after a while, he just wanted to not be cut by his back and his arse. Like just, just get out of the way from him, get to the side of him, shoulder him out of the way, be a bit more aggressive in different ways. Just run around him. The pitch is 100 metres long and 70 metres wide. You don't have to run at this 30 centimetre wide object. <laughs> That's fair enough as well. Um, I think Buendia wins it for Aston Villa and Saka wins the overall category. Yeah, I, it, it, it's too too big of a miss for Saka to not win and Buendia is going to be dripping in awards by the end of the show. So, yeah, <laughs> might as well start it now. <laughs> the Peter Enkelman What the Fuck Award. Um, mentioned Matty Cash getting caught in that ball for Tavares' chance. Danny Ings with a Bertie T.S. clearance back into the six-yard box. <laughs> that, was, that was actually worse than anything Bertie T.'s ever done. It, like, it nearly went it went backwards in towards his own net. Yeah, I mean, Bertie T. Post, like, yeah. it, was on, it was a delicious cross in there. It was so inviting. <laughs> like, Bertie T.'s normally just go skimming across the box, but this was this was dangerous. This looked like he knew what he was doing, whereas we actually know he doesn't. 
there, there are three Emmy Buendia nominations here, so I think we'll talk about Emmy Buendia in the Vimin meter, and we'll just include Emmy Buendia as one of the what the fuck nominations, <laughs> rather than anything specifically. And uh, the last nomination I have so is Cash, uh, Cash getting caught in the ball. Danny Ings is clearance back into his back post over his head. Um, Emmy Buendia, and then, <laughs> uh, well, actually, I think this is the winner. Matt Target trying to kick it with his right foot on challenge, nose plants to the turf. <laughs> like, do, you, do you remember American History X where he's biting the curb and then he gets the, the stood on? Like it's a horrible, horrible scene. Um, <laughs> one of those ones. Every time I think about it, I have to feel my teeth. You know, I keep I keep imagining my teeth touching curb, and um, like that. That's what Matt Target did instead of just clearing the ball. He just fell like two first into the ground. Yeah, and that's what my target makes me feel like. Go for it. <laughs> just do it. Just stamp on me. <laughs> I was going to say, it makes me feel that like cringiness where I have to grab my tooth. But you're saying you'd actually, it makes you feel yeah. a desire to be stamped on. Exactly. I mean, like, let's, my target, leaving Saka in 20 yards of space, no defensive noise. Bicycle kick that hits his trailing foot and went towards his own net and he went face first to the ground. No technical ability. The decision to kick the ball while sitting on your arse in your own box is daft. To not react in time to pull out is shite. No decision-making skills. But let's be honest, there was a moment in the first half I was watching Target trying to chase Saka. It was yeah. it was the saddest thing I've ever seen. I mean, like genuinely upsetting. It was like, Watching a terminally ill patient lying on a hospital bed, pissing themselves. It was, it was just like it was heart wrenching. It was like, oh, you poor, poor bastard. Nothing you can do about this. <laughs> like, the, yeah, I remember the exact one is coming down the right wing, and and the gap is just widening by the second. Like it's getting so much wider so quickly, and Saka is on the ball, running towards Tyrone Mings. And Target can do nothing about it. And the thing, like, I was actually surprised Target didn't come off. Now, people might point to the fact that he played that nice pass to, to Buendia. For, or not Buendia, Jesus Christ. Oh, no, it was to Buendia, sorry. I thought, I thought I was talking about the goal there. <laughs> it was to Buendia and he missed a chance. Um, you know, like, that might justify it in some people's heads that he, he was got a nice left foot. But, like, I was surprised he didn't come off and just played Tyrone Ming's left sure. back or... Do you, do, sorry, do you think anybody would try to justify a 90-minute performance because a professional footballer passed the ball once? Yeah. He was absolutely dreadful. There's no way he was going to come off. I think there was obvious changes to be made, and they were eventually made. But no, like he, he, had, he had to stay on. He's our, he's our only left-back, unfortunately. What's, what's the problem of Ashley Young? Like he, he only played left-back, what, one and a half games, maybe two? And he, he looked decent. Like, I don't remember him being bad. That's true. Actually, actually, Young could end up back in there a lot quicker than <laughs> you would have expected. He could be in there next week, actually. Like the thing about I, I thought Target was definitely going to come off, and I thought Buendia was going to come off earlier, way earlier. Everybody probably did, but because this stuff was happening, like Target and Buendia, they were losing the ball. They were they were getting exposed for their pace. They were getting exposed for their decision making. Like they were a shambles right in front of the dugout over and over. It was you could see the back of Smith's head looking at them. I know that he was looking at them. It's like one of those referee cams. Like, you know, let's see what what line of vision the referee has. Dean Smith could see it all. It was right there looking like 
they were so close to him, losing the ball over and over. I thought, like, I was so surprised that nothing happened in the first half, but I thought they were, they, they both were, were in big jeopardy of coming off. Now, maybe you don't want to waste a sub on a left back, especially if you're going to change formation and hope to be a bit more attacking. But, um, look, that, we'll get, sorry, go on. That's what saved him. He didn't want to waste a sub on a left back. He couldn't. He knew he had to bring on attacking players. He knew he had to try and do something. He was 2 0 down. And that tells you everything you need to know about Matt Target's performance. That Dean Smith didn't couldn't afford to waste the sub on him. That's the only reason he stayed on the pitch. Target wins the Peter Inkman What the Fuck Award. Um he has to like that was just dreadful. And do you like them? We didn't take a 90th minute penalty award. Uh like the, the one that we probably wanted to talk about for so long. Like not making changes. Like, we've talked about this probably too often, and we said it after the Wolves game about acting. Don't react. Act. Especially when you can see, you basically are reacting, but you're just acting quicker. So Villa were fucking hammered for 23 minutes. They were one goal down. Then they didn't react. Like, they, they, like they, they got worse, if anything. And then from about 27, 28 minutes, Jamie Carragher was saying, Villa are going to be making some changes at halftime. They have to. Uh, Dean Smith and Craig Shakespeare were in deep conversations, genuinely looking like they were going to make some changes. They didn't. They, once again, they didn't. They sat for another, it was over 20 minutes because it went on to the 50th minute in the first half. Over 20 minutes then of inaction. Just like watching the inevitable, nothing getting better. Villa not having a sniff, not even having the ball. And it just got worse and worse. And we didn't intervene yet again. And of course, the second goal came. And it was fully deserving, not for Arsenal, well, they, they did deserve it, but just for us, like we deserved it for being so bad in that area. Yeah, it is It is strange, especially because there's a ready-made formation there that we can go straight back into. You don't need to have them in the changing rooms to tell them how to play 4-3-3. You don't need yeah. to wait that long. And you're standing there, literally standing on the edge of the pitch with your hand on your chin, both of you whispering into each other's ears, talking about how bad this is and what you're going to do at halftime. Yeah. What do you mean, what you're going to do at halftime? You're talking about how bad it currently is. <laughs> so change it. It's like, this is dreadful, isn't it? Jeez, we're going to have to do something in half an hour's time. What yeah. the fuck are you talking about? The game is only 90 minutes long. This is a disaster waiting to happen. Like I said, there was never a more obvious goal. Like... I, I, I have never watched the game more in my life and was waiting for a goal to go in. It was absolutely pathetic. It was actually the biggest hammering I can remember a team getting out of anybody I've seen play. And I'm talking about, you know, whenever AFC Mariners play Man City in the FA Cup. I'm talking about, I'm including games like that. It was unbelievable. Yeah, and, and you know what? The inaction doesn't annoy me because the second goal went in. That would have been annoying anyway because you wasted another 25 minutes doing nothing. How, how, how long do you think this lasts? It's a 90-minute match and you're just willing to sacrifice another 30 minutes when everybody else, and not, not even everybody else in the world, you can see it. You know it has to change, but you're willing to just leave it for half time because that's what you do. Just fucking change it. And like, like you say, they've played in this formation loads of times. And you know what? Even if they hadn't, the formation you're currently playing is fucking diabolical. It's not working. So anything different would have been better. Yeah, exactly. I'm um, like, yeah, get the formation, get the shape right, stop the massive holes in your team, and then you can start get them into the change rooms. Then because that will that will calm it down a little bit. 
get them into the change room, then start talking about whatever patterns you want to implement. Because it's not, obviously not all formations. And maybe that's what they were thinking about, where they want players to be moving. Get them into a shape in the first instance and then get them off the pitch and tell them how to play. But Jesus Christ, don't let this just keep happening. The one change they seemed to try to make was uh, it went from a 3-5-2 to a 3-4-1-2 to move Buendia further up. Um, which didn't change anything. If anything, it was actually worse because he, he he got more sight of the ball and lost it more often. Um, I don't think he, he lost anything in a defensive point of view because I don't think he was helping in, in that sense. He was just losing the ball as well when he was in the three. Um, so the, the second nomination for the ULEC Glen Whedon take a 90th minute penalty award is Emmy Buendia staying on. Like You could say after... 30 minutes but especially after half time I think that was mad and then it went on for another it went on to the 67 minute I think it was yeah I mean Buendia was playing like a drunk uncle at a family barbecue that's gone out to kick the ball around with the wings he was, <laughs> he's just there to supervise so he doesn't want to run because he's full of meat doesn't want to tackle in case he hurts someone like he looked drunk and just belly full the whole game. He was so sloppy, so heavy-legged, unbelievably lazy and petulant, throwing his arms in the air, standing still, watching the game. There was one in the first half where he, he poked the ball from Tomiyasu and then just stood there and forced Target to go. And Target was closer, but Bundia was a spare man. He wasn't covering anyone. He was just being a cunt. We're getting battered here. If you're not going to run, then you can fuck off. There was a worse instance in the same side of the pitch. Again, Lacazette just rolls past him. And Buendia stands there on the wing like a ball boy. Like the assistant ref pegged it past him. If that wasn't bad enough, he leaves it to Target. Like Lacazette is one-on-one with Matt Target. Not only do you have a moral obligation to help out your teammate, it's Matt Target. You've played with him. You know he's shit. And it's Lacazette that's running at him. <laughs> Do you know what's mad about that thing you're saying where he, he left something to Target to go get? There was another instant where he told Target to leave it, I'll get it. And then he didn't get it. He didn't <laughs> get it. Somebody nipped in in front of him and Arsenal streamed down the pitch again and both him and Target are taken out because all it takes is three steps to take these boys out and that's that's them done for the rest of the move. Yeah, um, like, like, Honest to God, if you're playing in a game like that and you're getting hammered, you're being tactically destroyed, then you... You should be going into the change room and giving out to your manager because he hasn't done his job properly and setting you up. But if you want to have any authority in doing that, then you better be fucking running when you're on the pitch. There is nothing worse than somebody who is doing nothing on the ball and is complaining, especially if they're not bloody working. Run. Run when you're on the pitch. I actually can't believe how slow Emi Bundy is. It's unbelievable. If you're going to be that slow, then your ball playing better be absolutely immaculate. Yeah. I, I I am struggling to remember a worse individual performance since Dean Smith took over. I think Gazi against Burnley would definitely rival it anyway, but we have fond memories of Gazi since then. <laughs> Gazi's got a bit of 12-yard money in the bank. <laughs> um, and just like, finally on Buendia, like another habit of, that people have, you know, when things are going badly, I talked about lip service earlier on, why do people show for the ball if all they're going to do 
is played first time to the fullback. Like, what is the point? Like, this show of, like, you know, charging down in front of all the Arsenal midfielders. So it doesn't matter now if you get the ball. They're all behind you anyway. You used to, like, you're in the same position as the boy passing you the ball, basically. Yeah. And then you just ping it off straight away to the fullback. But then when Buendia did that in the first half, again, right in front of Dean Smith, it got cut out. His pass was too <laughs> short. Short change him on target yet again. They're both taken out of the game after three steps yet again. And that's the one that led to Aubameyang's goal that got cut out because Lacazette was fouling Kanza. Like, <laughs> that could have just as easily been another what-the-fuck moment. Yeah, well, like, I think it still could be. I mean, Kanza dicking around on the ball in his own box, facing his own net. Oh, uh, I mean, Buendia here, not Kanza. Leave that This guy was coming back to Kanza. Kanza was dicking around on the ball. <laughs> And he was facing his own nets, kind of like that's that's not nice, that's not good. It's mad stuff. And he gets lucky, but he does get fouled. But he shouldn't be putting himself in that position. And Emmy Buendia certainly shouldn't be putting him in that position. Yeah, exactly. Like, no, you're talking. <laughs> <laughs> but like the, the running, the running back to to ping the ball back to the fullback. It's it's so annoying from two perspectives. It's stupid and it's pointless and it's it's just annoying to watch. It's just an absolute waste of time. But it also is Emmy Buendia assuming we're all idiots, as if we're all going to be fooled by this, as if we're going to think he's involved in the game now. Like, what else? What else could be his motivation? Be to run back there to make it look like he's trying. Get out of the fucking way. Stand in between the lines. Get the ball at your feet and get turned at this Arsenal backline. Crystal Palace scored two goals against him. Let's go. <sighs> two more nominations for the you like Glenn Whelan take a ninetieth minute penalty award. Um. Emmy Martin is risking losing the ball quite often to chip it out to Matt Target. <laughs> he he is he is risking these players coming in, closing them down. He, he's sometimes on his own line. He's delaying and delaying and delaying so he can chip it out to Target's head or chest. Like, well, like if if that was actually a pattern that was working for us, then like I would say definitely go for it. Like, you know, the risk-reward is it's balancing out in our favour here. But you're just chipping out the target. Who doesn't want it? He's taking it down, and then he's either chipping it up to the wing to uh, a run that's not happening, or he's just <laughs> playing it inside, or he's losing the ball. Yeah, look, it's hard to argue with the reward not being satisfying. It's, it's, definitely, it's definitely not anything. There's nothing that's worth that. But there's very little risk whenever Emmy Martinez is on the pitch, no matter what he's doing. <laughs> that's fair enough and the only other nomination I have is um, playing 3-5-2 again only because like terrible against Spurs it was terrible against Wolves and it was terrible again today but I, I still think the the winner has to be just not making any changes until halftime yeah look the 3-5-2 thing is a little bit interesting we all got excited about it whenever we did it against Chelsea, but then you know when you look back at it, we lost that game three 0 so it wasn't exactly it wasn't that good. Then we beat Man United, big deal. They're an absolute disaster, as we've all seen since then. Like beat Villa Everton. just Villa were the first team to expose it. The Everton one is an anomaly because we were brilliant that game and we did destroy them. Everton were unbelievably bad, like inexplicably bad, given how the rest of their season's gone. It was like they didn't want to be there. It was a very Aston Villa like performance. And then every other time we've used it, we've been shit. The last two games, we've changed it. We've had a two and a one. We're playing Emmy Bundia in there, doing nothing. That's that's not gonna work either. If you're gonna like play him, Dean Smith has got a, a fetish with playing 
a number 10. And I don't know why he's so obsessed with it. I would rather, if we're going to play Buendia, then don't play him, play a winger. Play another winger up there and just go 3-4-3. Three, three, or just go back to the system that worked, which was a 3-5-2 with three centre midfielders. Not this Emmy Buendia floating around doing nothing except get us into trouble. So would you have that, like playing that for, well, however many weeks in a row now over not making a decision? Like, like I have the not making a decision so high up on the priority list here for this nomination just because it was such a bad performance that the fact that we didn't intervene was criminal. Yeah, like, like without a doubt, that is something had to change in that game and to wait for the goal to go into even think about it which is what we seem to be doing it was we were trying to get away with it until half time yeah like that was that was our tactics in the first half that is unbelievable like dean smith should donate his salary to charity because he didn't do anything this week he picked the same team that worked for 80 minutes in a game that we lost <laughs> and then didn't do anything when that didn't work yeah like that's that's the winner um bad bad day at the office for for dino I see Westwood, oh, he was playing award. <laughs> Two nominations. Matt Cash. Now, I did not want Matt Cash going from one extreme of shooting every fucking two seconds to doing nothing in the <laughs> next week. Like, we just want the other Matt Cash back that doesn't feel like he has to shoot every time he can see the goals in the distance. Yeah, I was actually surprised. That this award has made it into the show whenever you said that I was like where's he going with this because everybody was on my radar there was nobody that escaped there that I didn't think was shite well I've got one more that you've actually forgotten about this is why he, <laughs> this is why he is the winner of the IC Westwood oh he was playing award I'm Warley Gazzy <laughs> Jesus Christ I'm Warley Gazzy was playing he was on for 14 minutes of normal time and didn't touch the ball I don't think he touched the ball <laughs> I was that is amazing. Yeah, like uh, th- this comes back to we said this before about Bertie T. We said it about Jacob Ramsey. When these boys are given their chance, I want I want to show me something. And you look at Leon Bailey there. Now he's obviously a class player, but like he he's affecting the game. He's, he's trying to, to make sure that he's in the game. He's trying to make things happen when he's on the ball. It looks good. It looks it's a positive impact. Gazzy is just out in the left, floating around. Jeez, I, I actually, I am actually shocked that like I would never have remembered that Amwar Gazi came onto the pitch tonight until you mentioned. It. I, I, I genuinely would not have remembered that. Yeah, came over Danny Ings. Uh, walking sorry, sorry, hang on. There's obviously two nominees because I didn't realize Danny Ings had gone off either because he was doing <laughs> fuck all else in the match. He wasn't missed. That, Danny Ings is this, actually interesting. Like he, he tracks back so often. He was tracking back because or Emmy Buendia wasn't going to do it, and McGim was getting. <laughs> Caught out, and I thought, "Oh, fair play, to you, but also like, get a fucking life, Danny. <laughs> Do you think this is how you don't come off after seventy minutes every game? Like, we need you up front, getting on the ball and doing something." Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just when you think about today, like, Bailey, Buendia, Ings, we have gone big in the transfer market, but turns out size doesn't matter, Conan. It's how you use it that counts, and <laughs> we have no rhythm. Like, we're thrashing around in the dark, putting things in the wrong places and being heavy-handed, no sensitivity, no intuition. <laughs> like Bailey has quads made of cheese string, Ings is fucking pointless, and Envy Bandia is a fat, useless, lazy bastard. 
Oh, uh, you text me during the week saying like, you know, did we do well to get a hundred million for Grealish, just given how it's going the last what month or six weeks at City? And uh, you know, you could say that, like you could say, yeah, hundred million was good, but then it's like, well, actually, we spent eighty million of it. And I don't know where it is at the minute. <laughs> Oh, Christ. Shouldn't be that easy to lose 80 million quid. <laughs> Very quickly, the Vyman meter. Um, going down. Yeah, maybe when the, uh, we talked about him enough, but he's gone right down. John McGinn. Dean Smith was saying before the game, John McGinn has been the best player for Aston Villa this season. Well, he was the second worst player for Aston Villa today. He was bad. Yeah, like John John McGinn was shite. The idea that John McGinn is a top class player, like I've said before, is is really really fanciful. He does too many bad things in the ball. He lets the game affect him. In his defence, he ne- he's never playing and he's very rarely playing in his best position. Imagine moving John McGinn out of his best position to get Emmy Buendia on the pitch. Yeah. So yeah. now you've just got two shit players on the pitch. Best position, just in case anybody's wondering, like you've always said, this is just in the three, like to the, the right or the left of the three in the middle. And once you put him in behind somebody who's also shit, then you've just got two shit players. And then all of a sudden, imagine that, when you've got no midfield, <laughs> you get overrun in midfield. Yeah, this is like, it goes back to the Ross Barkley signing. Like I thought last year we were really pushing the number 10 because we were pushing for Ross Barkley to work. Because he was good for two or three games. Um, but then we just kept trying to make it work, even without Ross Barkley, even when he became one of the worst players in the team. And McGinn's form went off a fucking cliff. We kept trying to do it, but um, and we, he still hasn't really come out of that. He did for a, a while, but uh, he's back at us. And you know what? If he's going to play number 10, I know a player who's playing really well for number 23s, and he's turned 18, and his name is Carney Chukwemeka. That was a very, very Ross Barkley-like performance, wasn't it? From everybody. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. But honest to God, if you are going to play it, yeah, play, play Karnichuk Wamika. Because Buendia's not ready yet. His yeah. head's not in it yet. He hasn't been good for Aston Villa. Maybe the, maybe the transfer fee's weighing him down. Or maybe he's just not that good. Maybe the championship is also shit. <laughs> going down, Navy jersey. Um... <laughs> First time wearing it, I don't want to see it again. And do you know what? The pattern, the the pattern, you know, that sort of army style pattern reminds me of the white jersey last year, the cream jersey. And that reminds me of Burnley and 3-2. Yeah, it's a really, really strange decision from the kit man who's also going down in the vitamin meter because <laughs> our, our away kit's lovely. It's, a, it's one of the nicest kits in the league, swear yeah. that. I know then we would have associated it with this game and that would be it ruined forever. Yeah, that's fair. So a good decision from Kipman not to, <laughs> to going up the Kipman. Um going down Smith and Shakespeare's deep conversations. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're deep, but they certainly weren't meaningful. Uh yeah, like two drunk boys just talking absolute shit and the conversations going on for thirty minutes longer than it should. Uh going up. Emmy Martinez, because nobody wants to miss a penalty against him. <laughs> <laughs> and because of that, they're all going to miss. It's fucking amazing. It, it, the, it's unbelievable. I, it, as I was saying there, I've, I've never 
been expecting a goal to go in more in my life. That penalty, I was never expecting a save more in my life. Imagine just waiting for your keeper to save a penalty. Let's get on with it. Hurry up and save it, and we get on with this beating we're going to get. And I was actually annoyed that we had Martinez for a brief second. I was like, you know, no, fuck you, lads. We deserve to be losing. Oh, this big bastard's going to save the penalty. Great. <laughs> imagine, imagine a world where you, you could just have one player for a penalty shootout. And you put forward Amwar El Ghazi and Martinez as nets. It's just like <laughs> Villa would win everything, hold out for a draw in every game and bring it down to El Ghazi and Martinez. <laughs> and you win 5 0 in the shootout. Uh, going up, Leon Bailey. And going up, Axel Twanzebe, because I actually thought he was good and he, he cut out a few errors that people had made and then felt bad on him then that he was the one that was sacrificed to come off. Yeah, and the only reason he was sacrificed is because Tyrone Mings is the captain. I, I was terrified that Tyrone Mings was going to get sent off in that game. I mean, yeah. Tyrone Mings had a decent second half. He wasn't that bad, but the first 15 minutes, the way the game was going, the intensity in it, the fact that he was already on the yellow card, the fact that he had elbowed someone in the face, I was I was just waiting for it. I think there was never... I was as sure that Martinez was going to save that penalty as I was that Tyrone Mings was going to get his customary red card in a game that's going against us. And yeah, I, I would have taken him off to get to get uh, El Gazio or Bailey even. All right, we'll take a quick breather there. All right, quick one before we get on to questions we can't answer. Deron Saunders, do you want to bet against us? Quote of the week. All you have to do, Liam, is tell me who this quote came from. They buy me, Varane and Sancho. Their adaptation will take time. Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> what a hero. They, they, they buy me, Varane and Sancho. Their adaptation will take time. <laughs> uh, I just saw that before. Um before the game when when times were better and I thought I would throw it in <laughs> questions <laughs> questions we can't answer but probably will ah is it not a wee bit funny that Steve Bruce knows everyone calls him a cabbage head <laughs> yeah it's absolutely hilarious let's let's be honest I mean he, he's come out and said it was tough being labeled an inept cabbage head but I think what he's really failing to appreciate, though, is that he actually is an inept cabbage head, so it's actually tough for us to not call him it. <laughs> I mean, he was promoted four times, O'Connor, so give him his respect. What everyone forgets, of course, is two of the teams he got promoted. He also got them relegated the year before. <laughs> and the big black mark, of course, is languishing in 14th in the championship with McGinn, Grealish, and Tammy Abraham in the team. <laughs> and Ron Saunders, yeah, 40 years ago, Challenge people saying, "Do you want to get? Do you want to back against this?" When he was going for the fucking title, what was Steve Bruce's equivalent? We just got to keep our heads down, and we'll be there thereabouts. <laughs> and that was just him trying to trying to scrape into the top six of the fucking second tier. Like I remember, I still remember Dean Smith being interviewed three or four games in, and he won four nil. And he was asked, "What was his thinking in playing Connor Hurahan as the anchor?" And he said, because he's good in the ball. And the weight that released from me, like the <laughs> happiness it brought me. And I, I can't think of a bigger indictment. Steve Bruce's replacement said he played someone in centre midfield because he could pass the ball. And that changed my life. Like His replacement played a centre midfielder in centre midfield. And I could face the world again at my full height. 
But like you know, that's it now. Like the merry-go-round is done with. It careered out of control there for a while, and Steve Bruce was clinging on for dear life. But they've all been fucked off now. Pardrew, Pardrew lost eight games in a row and was sacked by West Brom, and he ended up in the Netherlands. Won one game in eight and was saved by COVID. Sam Allardyce got relegated. Sixty percent of Mick McCarthy's wins with Ireland came against New Zealand at an airport. And <laughs> <laughs> the, the merry-go-round is just a centerpiece of an old amusement park haunted by the spirit of shit football and Steve Bruce's cabbage head. <laughs> you say that. I've just gotten a text message from somebody saying Steve Bruce is available for you anyway. <laughs> you can still, you can block people on WhatsApp, Connor, don't worry. <laughs> yeah, like, like there, there's obviously... There's a lot of sympathy going around now. Um, there's always there's always a backlash, and there's a backlash to the backlash, and a backlash to the backlash to the backlash on, on the internet these days. And um, as part of that, like there's a lot of sympathy being garnered for Steve Bruce now for the abuse that he's taken his time at Newcastle. And in fairness, like actually, a lot of the media often, like you know, would say about how good a job Steve Bruce is doing, um, just regularly throughout any team that he was with, Sunderland, Villa, Newcastle, you name it. Even though all the fans there encountered the same problem that there that there was nothing that like it wasn't even the Steve Bruce was a was an overly defensive manager. You could I don't even think you could say that. He just, it, it just seemed to be an element of randomness and chance to like what he was doing. He just put teams out there without much thought. Usually, yeah, he was conservative and fearful, but like he if he was setting them up in a really good defensive way, at least you could see. Something to that, like you didn't mention Tony Pulis in your list of managers there, and I think <laughs> I think you have a bit of respect for him. <laughs> but like, like the reality is, he's managing Newcastle. You talked about this before, I think, about Arteta and the criticism he gets. We're talking about the Premier League here. There are two hundred and eleven football federations. There are more football federations than there are countries. There are twenty four <laughs> tiers in England alone. 24 under 40,000 senior men's teams. Forget youth football, forget forget women's football. There are 40,000 senior men's teams. Uh, give, or give, give or take every year because obviously clubs disappear. And Steve Bruce is at the very, 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 very top of the world. Not just England, the world, man. Like, imagine I, w- I became... It's never going to happen, don't worry. But imagine I became a, an MP or a TD. Like... You suddenly start getting held to account for things that you're doing and things that you're saying because you're in a higher up job of influence. Steve Bruce is in the highest job in the biggest sport on the planet. Of course, he's going to be under the radar, especially when he fails and then keeps getting other jobs. Well, that's it. Like, yeah, I and mean, there is a huge element of randomness to what he's doing, but that's not surprising. I mean, <clears throat> the boys have played under Alex Ferguson appear to have been completely stupid, so stupid, in fact that they didn't even realise they were being managed. It's that Gary Neville quote, you know, get them out there and let them play, let them figure out how to play. And that is what Steve Bruce has done his whole career. I remember Gary Neville really arrogantly on Sky Sports there the other night said, you know, he's managed a thousand games, by the way. It's like, that's not a good thing. That's not something positive. That's an absolute indictment of the chairman in England, how lacking in imagination they are, that this man has bumbled towards a thousand games, a thousand games, and fair enough. At the start, whenever he was just jumping from job to job, leaving jobs after four months because he couldn't get on with a chairman twice. Imagine doing that and still getting another job. That's insane stuff. 
But he hasn't been good since 2011. He hasn't had any sort of decent spell since he was finishing mid-table with with Wigan. You know, that was the last time Steve Bruce did anything of note. That was 10 years ago. And the game has moved on so much since then. Yeah. He said it might be his last job. I will uh, believe it when I see it. <laughs> um Newcastle will need a manager after the next one. <laughs> Probably be Steve Bruce. Uh, second question we can't answer, but probably will. How delighted is Jose Mourinho that his team lost 6-1? <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you his quote after it. Honestly, like, absolutely gleeful. If I had any doubts, we have a very good team. We don't have a very good squad. And today, we played with the squad and we were punished for it. At least a positive thing from the 6-1 is that nobody will ask why I always use the same players. Oh, what a relief that is. That's a real, real positive thing, all right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Jose Mourinho, and I, I've talked enough about Jose Mourinho for people to know that I'm not his biggest fan. <laughs> let's put it that way and let's put it that, that mildly. But whenever I hear that, that's... Jeez, you almost feel sorry for him, don't you? Like, almost. <laughs> He's just an older man now. The world around him has changed, and he doesn't like it. <laughs> like instead of embracing it and seeing it, trying to see the world from a different perspective, adapting or enjoying it, because it's the only world he's going to get. He's just pulled down the shutters, and he's kicking out. Like the, the, And it must be tough, because he knows that he used to be a great manager, and he just cannot figure out where it's gone wrong. And he's yeah. embarrassed. But he's also arrogant, and I don't mean arrogant that he still thinks he's a good manager because he knows he's not. That's that's why he's deflecting. That's why he's looking for excuses. That's why he's so defensive. I mean he's arrogant in that he thinks we're all stupid. He still thinks he's smarter than us, that he can hoodwink us. We know what you're doing, Jose, here. We know exactly what's going on. Yeah, he he can manipulate talk sport. But... <laughs> Because that is the sort of guff now that will be well, if, if anybody really cared about like, that much about the job he's doing out in Roma, but um, that's the sort of thing they would be saying. He's got a shit squad. What do you expect? You know, like, now when they don't do well in Syria, which will will happen because he's essentially said that. Well, what what's the numbers are seventeen of his players are now surplus to requirements and they're fucking useless, by the way. And he has to go in and manage these players every day. <laughs> and he has to work with them. And now when one player gets injured, he has to bring one of these players in who's now not bothered training properly or eating properly or caring for the last few weeks. He's now in the team. And then the team will do worse. And then Mourinho will complain and they pick on somebody else. And then it just starts. And we're not even in the second season yet. It's, yeah. uh, it's starting you, already. You've, you've watched the documentary. You know that Jose Mourinho thinks... There's two things he has to do. He has to convince his players to be cunts when they're on the pitch. Yeah. I think he's very, very clear about that. And he thinks the other thing he has to do is be a cunt himself to try and G his players up. That's yeah. it. That is Jose Mourinho. I mean, Jose Mourinho's standards have fallen so low that he claimed that not challenging Manchester City for the title was his greatest achievement. That's where he's at now. That's where he. That's where he's operating at. This is the thing about Harry Kane as well, because like a lot of people who've seen the documentary, or even you might have seen a clip from it, but Harry Kane having that conversation with Mourinho in his office, I, I thought less of Harry Kane in that situation. Now you know, you know I'm an enabler, 
so I, I would like, you know, I would have done the exact same as Hurricane in that situation. I would have nodded and agreed and said, yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, Mourinho was just talking absolute brown. Like all he said to Hurricane is, people know me. Basically, that This was the gist of his point. People know me. So by being around me, you can go on to a higher status. And yeah, I just feel like, a, I feel like a, a proper superstar would be like, what the fuck is this boy talking about? And I'm not even trying to grin and bear it. They would just make him feel like a, a useless idiot. But Kane was just too nice. And that's the thing I always get now with Kane over the last year or two years, whatever it is. I feel like he's trying to he's, he's trying to put on a front of being a superstar. And it's just it's just not washing with me. I will always remember that conversation where he was nodding and agreeing with Juicy. Yeah, I mean, the, the best thing to do in that situation was, and he probably would have got away with it as well. It wouldn't have made him look like an arsehole. He just had to say to Jose, what do you mean? And then just let Jose bumble on again for another couple of minutes, and then just say again, so, "Sorry, I'm just not getting it. What do you What do you mean being beside you? I don't I don't understand what you mean. I'm a footballer. What was so What are you talking about? Sorry. Surely I just have to get better at being a footballer. Yeah, yeah. It could have even changed the subject a little bit, like help Mourinho be better at his job by saying, "So, like, what are we actually going to do to <laughs> to make me better?" Um, last one. Is it time to overhaul the Villa leadership group? <laughs> you Go haven't on. read the Athletic. No, I haven't. Come. If you uh, a little line from it here. This is after the Wolves game. You know, Dean Smith wasn't happy. He called a meeting immediately with his coaches. There were home truths in the changing rooms as this was happening. Dean Smith. They all went for a a quick video analysis session straight after the game, and then the Villa leadership group were said to be vocal. In the changing room. <laughs> Includes Captain Tyrone Mings, Emmy Martinez, John McGinn, Ashley Young, and Ollie Watkins. Where's Kanza? Where, where's where's Courtney House? Like I, I saw Courtney House after United game. People trying to make out like what a result, and he's trying he's basically saying, We're Aston Villa, what the fuck are you talking about? Like this is what we want to do. That's the sort of man I want in this leadership group. Where is Carney Chuck Wemmicka? I keep coming back to <laughs> He needs to start swinging his dick a bit more. Like, he needs to come in there and say, I don't care, I'm young. Like, I'm going places and I'm taking you with me. Listen up. Get yourself into that group, son. <laughs> the, the only thing I heard there, and it was difficult to keep listening because you just reminded me of the Wolves game and then subsequently the Arsenal game. They went in and did a video analysis session. What a waste of fucking time that was. <laughs> what have they learned there? How, how easy it is to score three goals? Were they just watching the defensive errors and then working on them? And I mean working on doing them again. <laughs> I feel like they were watching them, you know, with a, a, a predetermined notion of what they wanted to come out. Like they, they were watching it saying, I think those goals were random. Can we can we find that now in, the, in this evidence? And they obviously did in their own heads. It is, it is a very, very strange group though, now that, now that I'm thinking about it. I mean... Emmy Martinez, obviously, but he is the goalkeeper. Yeah. Ashley Young can't get a fucking kick of the ball for love nor money. And then Tyrone Mings as well. He's the captain, so obviously he has to be there. But Jesus, put your fucking head down, pal. You get out of that session. The reason <laughs> we're in this session is because of you. Like This is 90% your fault. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know what? Like, and it's probably... 
um, indicative of the squad. Like, it, 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 there's, there's not a lot of other options. Like, I, I would really like Hansa to be in it. I actually would like Hoys to be in it, even though he's a sub. Like, yeah, like maybe you're right. Like, the, maybe with Hoys and Young, because that reminds me of Fabian Delph and the other All or Nothing documentary, the Man City one. Delph is just in the bench the whole fucking time, and he would not shut up. He was the one talking all the time in the changing room. Come on, boys, fucking lift it. It's like, sh- sh- shut up. Get wait till you're on the pitch. And then, like I say, get the ball. Make things happen that way. <laughs> um, and that's it. That's all she wrote. Another bad day. Three defeats on the trot. Ten points from nine, Liam. That's, that's not good. Like, that is Steve Bruce form. It's relegation form. Um, we will have to have that 4-4-2 conversation yet because it's not uh, not going good. No, 4-3-3. I'm happy with that for now if we can get back to it. Um, there needs to be a turnaround quickly. I don't see it against West Ham. I, I, I can see West Ham dishing out a few more home troops and I can see this leadership group going into crisis meltdown. Yeah, I, like West Ham is probably probably the last team, obviously apart from Liverpool, that I would like to play in the run. There's just... I can just see West Ham being smarter, being more streetwise, being tougher, being more aggressive. All the things that I would worry for this Aston Villa team. West Ham have it in spades. And yeah. it could be a fucking tough weekend and another tough hour afterwards. Yeah. Look, it's annoying. Like, I remember after the United game, we had beaten Everton, we had beaten United. And I thought, going into the Spurs match, you know, I can't remember the last, well, obviously the start of last year, Villa won three games in a row. It just doesn't happen often enough. But what does happen far too often is these runs of awful form, like terrible. I remember last year when Villa were still living on the myth from the earlier in the season where people were like, oh, it's a tough game. And you had to keep reasoning them with them. Like, you, you do not understand how bad we've been for the last 12 matches. Don't worry about it. Like, that like that went on for a long time. I know Grealish was out then. But we need to find a way to get out of these ruts. And Smith needs to find a way as well. It's a... Uh, like I say, 10 points from 9 isn't good. Like, that's a quarter of the season. Done now. Well, almost. And, and, and like I say, we can't be averaging a point a game. <sighs> no, we can't. It's not good enough. It's relegation form. It is relegation form <laughs> on that note. We'll leave you be. Go enjoy your weekend. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you next week for another shit show. All the best. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.